This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to speech class. You now have to perform a persuasive speech. And in your persuasive speech, there will be under five minutes. When you perform this speech, you cannot use the word I. If you use the word I, for every time you use the word I, I will take one point off your letter grade. And I thought, I got this. <laughs> How hard can that be? I mean, just avoid a word. Who uses the word I a lot when they're persuading people, right? It was the lowest grade that I got that semester. I dropped three letter grades 27 times in five minutes. And that was trying not to use the word I, just to be very clear. That was trying not to use it. Now, why is it that I am sharing with you the background of persuasive speech, the use of the word I, is because as you look at First and Second Peter, if you've got your Bible, open it up. We're going to First Peter 3 uh, to begin. It matters because the source of our faith, where our confidence comes from as we defend the faith, which is what Peter is inviting us to do in First Peter 3, where that source is, it says a lot about the strength of your defense. The early Christian church is not in the majority. They are not the majority that is happening there. And frequently people ask, what's going on with you? What do you believe? What do you teach? What do you confess? Now, by the end of the first century, persecution is starting to show itself a little bit more. So as First Peter's written, persecution is rising. Likely uh, Nero's persecution and others, some of the more harsh have not yet risen to their, uh, we'll, we'll say, to a, a, a speed at which it would have been difficult to ever hide yourself from. But indeed, the church is facing these challenges. First Peter 3, 15 and 16, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. What about that word always? Always be prepared. Are we always prepared? You see, it was that exact phrase, always be prepared, that had me thinking about that persuasive speech I had to write. I got to persuade someone. I got to get them into church. If only I could convince people and I could have a most, the most compelling argument, I could, I could pack a house if I could do it. If I could do it. I, 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 I. 27 times, that's what it took. Man. She said I wrote a really nice speech. Just had to give me the grade that I earned because I did such a bad job delivering it. So when a person attends church and they were to ask you this question, why are you here? What, what is it that has you smiling? How is it that you have this energy within you? Some type of, there's something different about you. 
would you be able to always, always be able to talk about the reason for the hope that's within you? How would you respond? I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I'm just going to give you a sampling uh, of uh, like an amalgamation of things that I've heard. People sometimes say, well, Jesus saved me from my sin. But if you have further questions, you can ask pastor. Um, I feel good here and I like the people. But if you want to know more, maybe go to Sunday school class. There's a small group that can answer that. Uh, the, the deflection. I mean, always be prepared isn't always be prepared to push it away. Uh, Peter's actually inviting you to understand that God's equipping you. <laughs> Some of you are like, really? He's equipping me? I don't feel equipped. And I'm not paid to have an answer. You're paid, Pastor. You should have the answer. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you think that I am the answer that is going to get you into a full relationship with Jesus Christ, then you are woefully mistaken. I am a man. And all the ladies were like, yeah, we get that. I'm just being real with you. Do not think that it is about someone else getting you there. <laughs> Unless that someone else is Jesus Christ. Do not think that it is someone else who's going to answer it so articulately that it's going to fix everything. A couple of you have heard the story. There are just things in life that you know, get repeated. I realize pastors have their things. And here's one. A friend of mine who decided he would go to seminary because he wanted to be able to convince people to Jesus. Actually went to get a degree in rhetoric so that he could convince people to Jesus. I said, really? So you decided that you could, you could outthink everyone else in the world. It's a weird place to go. I can do it. I can convince. I can get the rhetoric. I can say things the right way. Fear of saying the wrong thing sometimes leads us to say nothing at all. Now listen to a first-person response. If someone were to ask, why do you have hope? Just listen to how this may go. You may disagree with just the, the phrasing of it. I'm fine with that. But listen to how a first-person response to where it is that we have our confidence. I have hope because I have said the right things about God. I have hope because I've received answers to my prayers. I have hope because I have seen my family healed. I was baptized. I believe because I feel God's presence in my life. Now, some of those, you might sit there and go, well, that's not bad. I know. I'm not saying each of them individually are bad. But when I is the focus, your persuasion actually becomes, it just, it reduces itself down. So the question is, what happens when you make a shift? You see, my speech teacher in high school had no intent of me ever preaching a sermon on what she taught me. <laughs> I can guarantee you she was not trying to make someone more articulate in their theological understanding of what God does and doesn't do. But here's a unique thing. When you move from the first person to the third person, you move from something that might be considered a subjective truth to an objective truth. You move from what you're feeling to what has actually happened and something outside of you. You've had people tell you things with I that you know aren't true. I know that. I know what you think. Isn't that your favorite response when someone says that? I know what you were thinking. Really? So you, I mean, if you've crawled up in there, then you, you've seen some pretty weird stuff. Uh, no, I know. I, I know what you were up to. So 
So look again at 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. And see, when we defend the faith then with those other two difficult words, do it with gentleness and respect. See, some of you are like, oh, I can defend it. You're wrong. Well, that, that doesn't normally go over all that well. How do I have a defense and do it with gentleness and respect? Now listen to if we transition the where's my hope coming from and I move it into the third person. Listen to the change. My hope comes from Jesus. Jesus was baptized, instituting all waters for baptism into which I am now united. His baptism is a lavish flood for me. I am connected to him. You see, the change is when we get the I in there, it's because who? It's about Jesus. It's not about me. It's about me connected to an objective truth. How many of you have ever let yourself down? You don't have to raise your hand. Just think about that. Have you ever let yourself down? When I becomes the center of how we defend the faith, you're on rough ground, whether you want to make it icy, whether you want to make it a steep, whatever you want it to be. It's just a place that isn't the most firm footing that you'd ever have if it's about I. Make it about Christ and what he's done for you. As Peter opens, 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5, this is right at the front. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it starts out, this is right, away, right out the gate. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sets it and says, here's my foundational building block. The text continues, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Who caused the rebirth? He did. I didn't do that. When was I born again? I was born again when Christ acted in me. Yes, I was born again. You even get that, you know, Nicodemus. How is it that you can be born again? How, how is it that you may, you may go back into your mother's womb? All these crazy questions worrying around. Trust me, they're not first century. They're questions we have today. Yes, reborn, but God did that. You did not. First Peter continues, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What made that birth happen? Jesus' resurrection. Historical things. You can actually look and see, was someone named Jesus born? Was there someone who actually died on a cross and rose? Yeah. And there's places outside of the Bible that will affirm that. Now, what that means, that that person's no longer in their grave and others, yeah, trust me, that's where you start moving into matters of faith. But you can prove there's a Jesus, that he died, that Rome killed him, and that he wasn't in his tomb. That we can get even outside of the Bible. Trust me, I get all I need in the Bible. I'm just sharing with you, you're going, well, show to me outside of the Bible. You can get there. History will give that to you. And then he moves forward. As he rose to be an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Isn't that a great place to think about things? Being kept in heaven. Your inheritance is safe. The town of Apex has decided that it is no longer safe. You knew this before, but now it's official. Lock your cars. Okay, just to be clear. Because uh, do you know what happens in my neighborhood every couple of months? Someone tests to make sure that you're locking your car doors, and it's not the police. And then we wake up, and some neighbors say, golly, I got into my car. Really, how'd they do it? Well, I left it unlocked. All right. Did they get yours? No, mine was locked. All right. So just, you know, that's your public service announcement for today. Like, what was church's public service? Lock your car doors. But God says, I put the inheritance 
and I've got it in heaven. It will not be defiled. It is imperishable. No one can taint it. You see why that's important? If you bring it down here, you might mess it up. I might mess it up. God says, I've got it up there, and I'm saving it for you and sending it kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. It's ready to be revealed. It's being unfolded for us that we might be able to know more certainly what God has given to us. See, my faith isn't defended by my rhetoric. It's not defended by my emotions. Uh, boy, the, the young man, another Mike, I guess that's what's somewhat funny about it. The gentleman went to seminary to, to prove everyone uh, towards God. Boy, it's amazing how quickly we think that we're the center of it. You know, this happens in most careers. I'll be a better engineer than any other engineer who's ever been before me. I will be a better teacher. No one will ever. You know, I'll be the pastor that no one who's ever confirmed will ever leave the church. Whoops. We're just, we're convinced that we know better. Well, this is the joy of the next generation. Isn't it great that there are 20 and 30-year-olds who think they can fix the world? I'm serious. Because I talked to some of you who aren't 20 and 30 anymore, and you're convinced you can't fix it. So maybe having you out in the front of trying to fix it is not really the way to go. Like the sales pitch of, I can't fix it, but... I could try. At least you've got someone who's got the energy and the heart and the desire to move forward. I'm excited about that. But when it comes to faith, I don't want someone who's just excited. I want someone who's actually done it. Because just excitement is about I, emotions, me, centering in my subjective reality that can shift like shifting sand. Shifting sand is not where you want to make your foundation and the bedrock of your faith. Jesus, when he is approached by John the Baptist, our text, our gospel text this morning, which on this day is the baptism of our Lord. Uh, Epiphany just began. We think about the wise men coming, and now on this day we hear Jesus' baptism. And John asks, you want me to baptize you? And I, I'm, I can't do that. I'm not the guy. I'm a broken guy. I, I Certainly, the Lord has given me direction. I'm a prophet, I mean, but I can't do that because I'm a broken guy, and I can't do anything to fix a perfect God. John knew who he was, who he was in front of. John was very much aware, this is God. I don't do things for you, God. You do things for me, and then I respond back with praise. That's what I do. And God asked him, I need you to do something for me. John's like, uh, I think you got this out of line. Here's the response. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. You see, Jesus was playing the long game. And the long game is this. If I'm not baptized, then how do you get connected into what I've done? If I'm not baptized, how is it then that you might be washed and cleansed and you might be covered in the righteousness that I will win? Jesus knew where he was going, trust me. But he also knew he was going to win. But he needed a way for you and I to be welcomed into the family, woven into the fabric and tapestry that is God's plan for all people. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. This is the epiphany moment. Meaning people go, that's who he is? You bet. The text continues and says, heaven opened up, saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, resting on him, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And I'd like to think on that day, some people said, we get it. And do you know what happened the moment they left? They forgot. They forgot it. And I said, I think I heard something. I'm not quite certain. Did anyone get that on their phone? And then they all looked around and said, what's a phone? So no one had it. Anybody get a picture of that? And they're like, what's a picture? 
I mean, it's just very awkward. How quickly is it that we forget what we need to hold on to? But when we push out and realize that these completed actions, that God knew we needed a gateway, that we needed a place to come back, Jesus' baptism opens the door for us to come in that we have an answer to the person who says, what have you done? Someone goes, what have you done to earn salvation? I say, nothing. But I know what God has done for me, that salvation is now for me. <laughs> you see, the one who did it for me so that it is mine. I'm connected because Christ is connected to me. Jesus' response to Peter was, blessed are you, Simon. When was that? It was when he was asked later in the Gospel of Matthew, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. This was not given to you by men, but by my Father who is in heaven. You see, it all connects. From First Peter that said he was guarding that salvation for you. And then also when we moved to the front with the baptism, it's spoken, this is my Son. And then in the confession of Peter, Peter's told, it's not about you, Peter. It's for you. It's not about you. It's for you. See, if it was about Peter, then we'd just all be worrying about preaching Peter and getting real focused on Peter. You can preach Peter and not have to actually say his name a lot only so that you can get to the book. You're like, you've said his name a lot. I know, to get you to the verse about him. That's how we pinpoint things, but it's really about Jesus. Later, in that very same book, we hear what it means to grow in the faith and how we continue to develop faith over a lifetime. Because Peter doesn't want you just to get into the faith. He says, I want you to find out what it looks like to move as one who's guarded, one who has this inheritance that's set up in heaven that's guarded for you and granted to you through the waters of baptism so it might fulfill all righteousness. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow into salvation. Isn't that an interesting picture of thinking about it? Growing into salvation. Now, I went to Lowe's this past week, and whether you like it or not, they already have out all the spring seeds. They're ready for you to plant your garden. Now, when you prep your garden, there's lots of things you do. And it's funny when you plant a garden, you're very keen on making sure you get the right soil. You want to get loom and different things. And this is where you start talking about soil, even if you don't know much about soil. You start talking like you do and raised beds and getting all these different things. But when it comes to caring for our faith, people are like, so what, what do you do in your faith life during the week? Nothing. Okay, so you, you really care about getting like five years of corn to grow. Because I mean, some of you may have big gardens, but let's be honest, most of us that are doing gardening in Apex or the surrounding areas, you're not living off the fat of your garden, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Aldi and, and Foodline are supplementing you heavily. But you're very worried about that when it comes to tending your life of salvation. Are you aware of where you're planting the seed that is you and your family? <laughs> are, are you being fed? Are you being nourished? Are you in the right soil? Peter said, I, I want to make sure that you're there. Put away all the malice. Put away all the deceit, all the hypocrisy, all the envy, all the slander. And then he moves forward, jumping to the latter portion of, of verse 1 to 4 of 1 Peter 2. If indeed you've tasted the Lord is good, and as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious you're coming to this living stone that's a weird thing a living what's a living stone like some of you would probably be very scared if you saw such a thing it'd be kind of weird you're like stones don't animate but what we know about stones and what peter's talking about is they're foundational 
the foundation of everything we have is in Jesus Christ. And not only is he foundation, but he is living and breathing, and he rose just as he said. Your salvation is not grounded in I did this, I did that. Now, someone who's still hanging out going, hey, you said I was baptized, that that, that, that was kind of a, a subjective piece. Yeah, I would suggest that it is. If you end it just I was baptized. But if you say I was baptized into Christ, now you got something. I was baptized in the completed action of Jesus Christ for me so that on that day, I can push back all the flaming arrows of Satan. Lots of you know things about me that aren't that much fun. Hopefully a lot of you know things about me that are fun. But all the flaming arrows, there's one thing Satan can't ever do. Satan can never remove September 9th, 1979. Can't. The day that Christ claimed me as his own. It's a joyous thing to know where it is that Satan can talk and where it is that I can make him shut up. And you make him shut up when you talk about Christ in your life. Satan has no power over our Lord who died and rose again and is coming back so that we may have life in his name. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.